Welcome to the Ninja Twin Podcast. My name is Isaac Caymans. This is a bi-weekly podcast where my friend Jess O'Brien and I discuss internal martial arts, qigong, and meditation. Uh, this week we finish our discussion of uh, Master Liu Zhenglin. Uh, we talk about his later life, uh, his teaching style, and a little bit about his relationship uh, with his teachers. Um, then we then we complete our discussion on breathing, uh, the first Nagong principle. Uh, we talk about how breathing relates to the metal element. We talk about the, the quote-unquote turtle breathing practice and what that entails and how it relates to the spine and uh, the physical body. Um, then we finish up with a short little breathing practice that you can follow along with if you want to. These are just meant to give people a real basic idea of what the uh, the principle is, not to you know substitute having a teacher or anything like that. Also, we just did a Patreon episode about uh, Feng Zhishang, so you can check that out. Um, there's a short clip of it out as well, so you can listen to that without joining the Patreon. Okay, I uh, hope you enjoy the episode, and thanks for listening. Welcome back to season two of the Neja Chuen podcast with Isaac and Jess. We've been uh, working more on developing the season two, and I think we have some pretty cool stuff coming up. I want to look deeper into the lineage of masters who, fl- who this stream of masters who flow into the 20th century um, with this teacher, Leo Hung Jie, that we spent last season learning a lot about. And I'm really inspired by looking at his teachers and the masters that, that come in that lineage. And each one of them has a story and has some... Also, a lot of them have, you know, practice tips that they were known for recommending and ideas that they had for training. Um, and just digging through what exists in English and on the Internet, we found some pretty cool stuff. So I'm pretty excited about getting more into this, these older teachers from the 1800s and turn of the century. Yeah, I mean, you're more the the scholar than I am, I think. But I do think there's a part of being a martial artist is understanding the, the lineage a little bit and. You don't have to, I think, know everything about these people, but if you're going to take it seriously and and talk about yourself as part of a lineage, you should at least know the the big names that go in the lineage, right? I mean, that's how traditionally, right? That's how they would. The first question is, you know, who do you train with? The second question is, who they train with, right? Like, you know, sort of your your, uh, who's your teacher's teacher is more important than you know almost anything right so it's like that that's where your street cred comes from so definitely uh, and we're lucky that that some of them are very colorful characters with with good uh stories to tell so i mean i just i just like the idea of getting a lot of these into one place and letting people hear some of these names over and over now it's a little bit difficult to follow a lot of the history especially if you haven't been reading a ton of it for ages so we both over time have sort of figured out who the names of who some of these are but I think in our podcast, we'll be able to explain some of these guys and give them a face to go along with the story. We can put up a chart of like the names if that's helpful for people for each right. episode. The teacher and the, the spot that we're starting with is this this school in Beijing where all these Bagua masters and, and sort of just a wide variety of martial arts practitioners were meeting up to train at this place in Beijing called the Changwen Men Wai Hua Shu, which hosted the largest gatherings of Bagua practitioners in Beijing. Um, 
students. I don't, think it was, I don't think it was all styles of martial arts. I think it was just Bagua. I mean, right. Well, I mean, in terms of Shinyi, Tai Chi, we're mixing there, but internal martial arts, let's right, say right. that, the, that group. Um, not only students who practice the Cheng style, but also students of all Bagua styles came to practice there. So this is coming from Power of Internal Martial Arts by BK Francis. Um, here, here he speaks about Liu Hengjie, his teacher who trained at this school. Being much younger than everyone else at the school, Liu became the school mascot. He gained insights and practice methods from many of his seniors and began practicing Xing Chen as well. The school was a true meeting ground for all the top Bagua students of Beijing. After the school disbanded, Liu continued to learn from the people that he had met there for another decade. Um, so this Liu Hengjie explained to him what this school was like, this special gathering place for all these different teachers. And so one by one, we're looking at the teachers who gathered there, the people that gathered there, as well as some of the, the political movements of that time of different schools and associations that were gathering in Beijing in this 1900 to 1920 time period. Um, and the first name that comes to mind is who we talked about last week, a fellow by the name of Liu Zhen Lin. And he is Grandmaster Liu Hengjie's teacher as well as a number of other teachers. A bunch of different guys were gathering here. So Leo was able to learn from all these different masters, including this one, Leo Zen Lin. Um, drawing from another internet source, we found uh, Loriano's website describes how, uh, it begins by saying, Dong Ai Chuan had already died various years ago. So Cheng, Cheng Tinghua's student, Cheng Yulong, established in 1903, a martial arts school in the Ximi Street of Qianmen Wai, in the western sector of Beijing. In that same year, he established Liu Zhen Lin as help teacher. So in that period of confusion, Cheng Yulong and Liu Zhen Lin acted as preservers of the Cheng Tinghua tradition. So for someone like Liu Zhen Lin, there's not very much about him. Not he doesn't he didn't get around publicly very much. He didn't leave behind any books or anything. But this this website here is describing that he's the help teacher of the school established um, by Cheng Tinghua's son. So that's the same school that Liu Hengjie was at. So here's a second source or another source describing the school in the western sector of Beijing. And there Liu Zhenlin is the help teacher. Yeah. And this is that turbulent period of time. We talk, you know, that sort of warlord period and early republic period where, uh, it, you know, it wasn't... Uh, necessarily easy to keep a business going or keep a martial arts school going you know right so this is a period of confusion he describes it as yeah and uh so the pairing of this great martial arts famous teacher cheng yulong and then the teacher that we're examining leo zen lin who's a much quieter guy they seem to have a connection and an interwoven their names come together in a number of different things we've stumbled across it's clear that cheng yulong was the main master of the school but this guy leo zen lin was his assistant teacher and sort of right-hand man. And that who is the, the is the master of Liu Hongjie. We, we found another mention of the name Liu Zhen Lin. Um, Liu Hongjie was practicing with Liu Zhen Lin and became his main student. Liu Zhen Lin was one of the oldest students at Changwen Men Wai Hua Shi School and also practiced Yin style. Um, and he goes on to say that after that school closed, Liu Zhenlin started to teach, uh, continued to teach on his own, and Liu Hengjie learned Yin style from him. And also Ma Gui came to visit and participate as well. 
Um, so this is yet another source sort of pointing to the existence of Liu Zhen Lin, this very interesting character. Um, but, you know, he doesn't really have much of a biography. And he it also looks like he was probably illiterate, so he didn't write any books of his own. And he actually wanted to stay undercover, is, is what it started sounds like. Is that the impression you get? Yeah, I mean, I think he was um, focused on doing it rather than sort of being famous or, you know, being in the public eye necessarily. Um, it sounds like he was, you know, fairly dedicated and uh, pretty skilled. And um, I, I, I don't know how much, again, I mean, a lot of this is, you know, us just guessing about it because who the fuck knows. But, um, you know, I, I would have to assume that if you're put in charge of a school uh, by the founder of the style son that you know what you're doing. <laughs> right. And, and um, that when the school disbanded, I think, you know, he started teaching at his home or whatever. And that's where, um, you know, he continued to teach till he died. But, um, you know, he and Leo Hung Jae had, you know, they had met really early on. So who knows what, you know, they, they probably were friends for many, many years. And, you know. And uh, another thing that's clear is Leo Zen Lin's teachers also helped mentor his student, Leo Hung Jae. So there was grand right. teacher, teacher and student were interacting all together, multi-generation family kind of situation. Well, the, the, the sort of underlying thing in all this is you notice there's a lot of this guy introduced this guy to that guy. Mm. And right. So. Frequently, it wasn't, you know, um, uncommon, I think, to say, okay, well, you know, I've taught you this chunk of it. Go see my buddy and he'll teach you this other piece of, you know, some other, you know, thing or, you know, because you're suited to that style or, you know, I'm not, I just don't want to teach you this thing. Right. Or, who knows time. Yeah. Right. Or, or you live in a different area. I mean, who knows what the circumstances are, right? But, um so these introductions, I think, ultimately, that's how people would meet, uh, essentially, their grand teachers, and and that's uh, especially later on, later in life, right? You're more established. Maybe your grand teacher needs a place to stay, so you take them in for a little while. I mean, who you know? There's all sorts of these kind of like uh, in, you know cross relationships and and intergenerational relationships and yeah and cultural norms where old people and young you know family members have different relationships than we would think of probably yeah i mean well it's sort of like you know you meet um i don't know if you play if you play music or something right you meet some old guy and then he says oh check out this is my friend and you you meet his friend and then you start mm -hmm. hanging out with his friend and then his friend says here i'm gonna meet this guy and mm -hmm. you know that's just how networking goes right right um, so I, I think it's like if you found somebody that was an enthusiast the way you were an enthusiast, you would say, hey, look, go train this style with this guy. He's really good. Or, you know, if you're going to be in this area, go check out my buddy, you know. And so yeah. there's a lot of that sort of, you know, like, like we said last time, you know, it's a very fluid group, right? Like these guys weren't competing against each other because there was nothing to compete for, really. They're sort so of family was, members. Yeah. You know, yeah. It was like. I'd like to end with one last piece on Leo Zen Lin. This is the last thing we've kind of been able to dig up off the internet about him. Um, it says here that Leo Zen Lin's school was at his home and he taught people every day from 6 p.m. to almost 11 p.m. Um, and it says here that the advice he, he gave was that Leo Zen Lin showed every movement or application only three times. 
If you cannot remember it, he didn't teach you anymore. He was a strict teacher, mm. which is pretty classic because that's, you know, the old fashioned way of I'll show you a little bit, but you better work hard on it or else forget it. Bruce said that a lot, a lot of his the older, te- you know, these, these old guys that he met, that's how they would teach is just, you know, they show it to you once or twice. And if you don't pick it up, they're not going to show it to you a third time. Right. Don't waste my time. So I think that ends what we currently know about Leo Zen Lin and this this extraordinary Bagua school that was operating. We're estimating from you know turn of the century up till maybe 1920 or so. Returning to Nagung principles, so we are continuing to look at breathing, the first of the Nagung principles, and how that affects all the different practices that you do. And and last time I think we. You know, the main thing that came out for me was the sense that this is uh, the Nagung component that you can't help but do. So that you might not be able to open and close or spiral something, but you can always use Nagung of breathing. And so it's the ever-present one that you'll never, you might as well use as your starting point, your gate gate inward to more complex breathing training and more complex Nagung training. Yeah, it's often, it's the gateway to all the other stuff really i mean you know last time we talked about more basic beginner practices but there are also more advanced practices and things where you start to direct your mind and and follow the breath and and sort of observe what's happening um so i think the um connection between breathing and for lack of a better word awareness right it it there's a sort of uh, intertwined relationship there that you can't really get away from because in order to pay attention to your breath, you have to have awareness of your breath. And so that, that brings you into your body, at least on a surface layer and then doing things like directing that breath into different parts of your body where you fill up your, you know, your lower belly, your back, your sides, things like that. Um, and then further going to uh, things about how you break it down into, you know, two or three part inhales and two or three part exhales and all these sort of more advanced, you know, reverse breathing practices, things like that. But ultimately, you know, all of those things just get you to the point that however you're moving, however you're, whatever you're doing internally, it's just smooth and it it's it, you know sometimes it's coordinated sometimes it's not but the the overall i think thing is just to keep it easy you know that that mm. I, I think that because you know it's 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 sort of like your uh canary in the coal mine in terms of stress that the first place that stress is going to show up is in your breathing you're you know you'll start to breathe faster and sort of you know, breath starts coming up into your chest and all this stuff. And so just having the ability to stay present to that is, is kind of the, the practical part of it. And then there's the stuff about, you know, going into meditation and spiritual work, using the breath as a sort of a gateway for that as well. But, you know, that's way more than we need to get into here. I think it's more just right. about setting the stage for, uh, doing other, you know, doing other practices that you just want to have this breath being comfortable and, and steady. Right. Which sounds basic, but is a lifetime practice, right? Like you keep stumbling. Your breath will tell you like that canary, whenever you're, 
you're tensing up whenever you're getting right. clenched, whenever you're facing a crisis, you're going to immediately feel it. It's not like a, it ever gets like a problem. That's yeah. Fixed, I mean, you know? I, I it's think like that's breath will always keep coming up. That's the, that's the thing about it being a tool, right? That you, it's the easiest way to gauge yourself that, that if you, after, well, not, but after a while you start to say, okay, you know what your breath feels like when you're relaxed. Mm. And so when you get stressed, you at least have like something to calibrate it with. Like you can say, okay, well, let me try to get my breath back to its sort of, you know, that relaxed place. Um, and then that kind of brings your mind down into your body and it becomes easier to do things, uh, you know, like dissolving and stuff like that. So it really is the beginning practice, but it's also the more advanced practice is also kind of tag, you know, come back around to it. So it's right. You always eventually come back yeah, to it. It never goes away, right? I mean, yeah. you know, like you said, you're always breathing. So it's, no it's kind of a, 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 a crucial piece. So one thing we wanted to look at was drawing from uh, this martial tradition. Um, we were looking at a translation from uh, the book written by Bai Hua, who's one of uh, Bruce Francis's fellow students under Leo Hung Jae. So this book is available in Chinese, but uh, there's an article that translated a little piece from it in Martial Cultivation Journal 1.3 by Mo Ming. So here's the quote. Ancient Taoists believe that turtles live a long life because their slow and deep breathing leads to a slow met metabolic rate. When they inhale deeply along the backbone and exhale slowly, during this process, the structure does not change. In Taoist terms, this breathing method is called turtle breathing. Which is interesting to see. This is, you know, drawing from Baihua's book here. Um, that reminds me a lot of the type of breath training we've done over the years, where you breathe into different parts of your body, and a big part of it is breathing into the spine. This idea of that turtle breath of breathing the, from the front back into the spine and sort of stretching the inner body without distorting the structure of the spine in the back. So you you sort of expand and fill all the soft areas and stretch the spine with the breath, but you don't, uh, how would you say, distort it or twist it. You take the slow, deep breaths. The Yeah, well, the, the breathing and the spine are both, the lungs and the spine are both the metal element. Mm. So those two things often kind of go together. And so the relationship to your physical breath is the one not the one thing but it's the easiest thing you can do internally to affect your spine right to start moving your spine from the inside without uh just like you said without distorting your external positioning right so the first one is always just in a whatever posture or movement you're doing try to keep your lower back straight right that's the at least for most of you know the, the basic internal martial arts stuff keeping the lower spine straight and the head up is kind of the that's your baseline that's your you know everything else kind of starts from that so establish that baseline and then from there you get into breathing into various parts of the body up to and including the spine right so you can well and and your breath is the way that you access the middle of your spine your your tailbone and your head can sort of pull on the top and bottom but your breath is the thing that actually gives you access to that sort of middle area and, and lower back area so for a lot of people breathing into the lower back is is 
probably the only way they're going to get their lower backs to start to move, you know, without using a lot of physical tension, just because things are so blocked that that's all they can do, you know? And so Mm. it's a, it's a very basic, but very effective way of getting access to that part of your body. So I remember experiencing that when I was first getting into breathing while training and, you know, like you said, the lower back tends to be a pretty frozen, stiff area. So when you take these sort of deep, slow inhalations, it kind of melts the ice a little bit and the backbone gets a little movement in the lower back there and the, the vertebrae get a little stretch from that horizontal opening of that balloon of your belly. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that seems like the beginning of what he's talking about with this turtle breath of Honestly, this description looks a lot like bend the bow, reverse breathing, and how you use your breath to to pull into the various vertebrae. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, the breathing into the back of your body, of your spine, and then, you know, sort of releasing from the front, right? This idea of this loop or this shell in the back uh, is, is, it's all over in Taoism, but it's particularly i think relevant in this system because there's so much emphasis on the spine Mm. so so when we do the internal practice after this we'll look a little bit more at the beginning of this turtle breath practice yeah i mean like i said this is more about just getting the sense of if you can get the concept that that helps you then later at least have some frame of reference for trying to do it you know right because um, it's going to take a while to actually do it so at least while you're in that period of um transitioning from not being able to do something to being able to do it you can have some visual images to keep you occupied yeah so just to wrap up one of the main things that i think you know, breathing does is to use the, the the common term, the monkey mind, right? That it's the it's the sort of primary way you call, keep your mind from jumping around to the laundry list of things in your head, right? So whether it's something like Santi, where you're just focusing on your breath coming in and out as you stand and look at your finger, or Qigong, where you're doing some sort of movement in your breathing or standing in your breathing, that one of the main purposes for using doing a breathing practice is to keep your mind from getting distracted and i think that you know and that's why i think that the simpler the practice the bet at least in the beginning the simpler the breathing practice and the more relaxed it is that the the further it's going to take you and build up that concentration build up that ability to focus that comes with counting the breaths and staying present exactly the yeah yeah and that leads to Nagong principle number two of consciously moving the chi energy through the meridians of the body up and down and side to side and all the different various ways you can. If you can't concentrate long enough, then you're not going to be able to do much movement of chi. So I think this first principle of breath, you build up the yeah. concentration and focus that's going to you can't do it. I mean, really, you can't you can't do anything. Right. I mean, if you can't keep your attention on what it is you're trying to do it's gonna you know it's gonna be hard to do it so that's that's where the metal element also comes in because metal is kind of the 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 mental element it's the Mm -hmm. it's the ability to get your mind to focus on something is the metal element so Mm -hmm. that breathing ties into that as well 
All right. Well, all right. Looking forward to talking soon. All right, brother. Talk to you soon. Bye. Okay. So for the uh, first Nagong principle, the breathing practice, get yourself in a comfortable position, uh, either sitting or standing and try to keep your back straight and just start by breathing through your nose, feeling your breath go in your nose, feel the sensation of it going back and down into your belly on the inhale and then feel it come back up and out on the exhale. And all you're trying to do is make that transition from in to out, from out to in as smooth as possible. Start by just taking 10 breaths, something like that. Don't force your breath to be longer than it's comfortable. So the 70% rule applies, right? You just breathe 70% as much as you can take in into the lower part of your belly, the sides of your body a little bit, and your lower back. Don't push your chest up when you breathe in. Don't collapse your body when you breathe out. There's a sense of expanding the back a little bit as you breathe in rather than sticking your chest up. And this is where the, the turtle breath comes in, right? The idea that it's a shell on your back that you're breathing into, not your chest. So you don't want your chest to heave up and down when you breathe in, but you want to feel some space in your back opening up, even all the way up into between your shoulder blades. But it may take some time to get that far up your back. So you're following the breath in, your nose, down, into your belly. You let it expand your belly in your lower back and the sides of your body and a little bit up the back as well, if you can. Don't hold your breath and then let it release. And you let that sense of fullness or whatever you have in your back, just let it, you know, go to neutral. Don't, don't push it out, right? Don't, you just want the breath like a bellows to exhale nice and smooth. If you want to count your breaths, you can. It's just an added way of keeping your mind from wandering too much. But the physical sensation of the breath is a far more uh, powerful tool than just counting numbers in your head. So, you know, that's something to keep in mind. And then you can begin to pay attention to the physical lung itself, right? So feel the inside of the, as you breathe in and you expand your lungs, feel the inside of the lung. Feel the bag. And just see if you can get a sense that it's filling up evenly, right? That one side isn't filling up more than the other or the front more than the back. And even though you're not moving the chest, you want the breath to fill up all the way almost to your collarbone. The breath moving inside the lung is different than moving the outside of your body. And that's sort of that first sensation you want to get is that you can feel the breath inside your lungs moving around filling up spaces without it affecting your 
chest or any other part of your body. And then after you've done however number of breaths you want to do, just let your mind start to settle down to just back to that simple in, down, up, out. And then when you're ready, you just come out of it nice and easy. Okay, well, I hope that was useful for people and I uh, hope you enjoyed the episode. Uh, don't forget to like and subscribe. Check out our Instagram for photos and articles about the episodes. And check out our Patreon for interviews, special episodes. And we're going to be doing some more uh, practice sessions on there as well. A little more detail, a little more in depth. Okay, thanks again for listening. Thanks for your support and take care.